everyone, and welcome to The Build Podcast. I'm Devin McDonald, a partner here at OpenView. OpenView is a VC. We're based in Boston, and we invest exclusively in B2B expansion stage software companies. So in this season of Build, I've been interviewing different leaders from top SaaS companies about the first 100 days pertaining to a major change or pivot within their organization. Today, we have Asta Malik, who is the VP of Platform and Product Marketing at Zendesk. She has over 18 years of experience in driving go-to-market, strategic initiatives, working for PagerDuty, SumoLogic, Citrix, and obviously now Zendesk. Hi, Asta. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Devin. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So last fall, Zendesk expanded its enterprise and machine learning capabilities with new product offerings like Talk Enterprise, Chat Enterprise, and AnswerBot. So given your role of VP of product marketing and platform, you clearly played a major role in bringing this new product line to market. Congratulations. Thank you. I think it was a team effort, but thank you. I'll take the credit for the team. <laughs> <laughs> you got to take the credit. Yeah. Could you just tell us a little bit about the team? Could you tell us about your, your role and the, the organization at Zendesk? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I run the platform and product marketing team at Zendesk. And uh, recently, I also started managing the sales enablement strategy team. So my role has expanded over the last one year, which is really interesting because we're we're on a really good ride here as the company develops from a single product company to multi-product company, and we're seeing a ton of enterprise traction. So with my experience over the last, I think you mentioned 18, it's actually 20, so I feel really, really old. But all these experiences across different asset classes, public companies, high growth companies, I'm excited to bring them to the table as the company scales even further. It's a great track record you have. Again, congratulations. So for the sake of our podcast today being centered around the first 100 days, would love it if you could bring us back to last summer as the business and, and your team and organization was preparing for the new products to, to come to market. What was the drive behind creating this new set of AI chat-oriented products at uh, Zendesk? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So, you know, Zendesk, if you ask any one of our 119,000 customers, is known for disrupting the customer engagement space when we came about, I think, around 10 years ago now. And the company's mantra since then has been about taking the burden of complexity away from our customers, which, you know, which makes us an innovation machine. And the AI technology that you're referring to was introduced as a result of that thinking and, you know, not necessarily just the market trends. So I actually believe that when it comes to AI, we actually have this internal joke. So, you know, when it comes to AI, uh, a lot of people are talking about it and nobody's doing it. It's kind of like teenage sex. <laughs> and um, so, you know, we just we, got our headline for this. Uh, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, we wanted to change that. We wanted to make sure that AI was adaptable for our customers. And we were thinking beyond just chatbots, which, you know, in many ways has become the standard definition for AI. And AI is much bigger than that if you do it right. So we, we focused on, you know, making AI truly smart, easy for companies to embrace and, you know, become the thought leader also in helping companies understand when it makes sense for them to embrace AI and where you still needed humans because AI is not replacing humans anytime soon. I think there's a complementary mix there. So it was it was a bunch of things that were coming together with our core ethos in mind around simplicity and making our customers successful. So which team was really driving this AI to, to come to light within the business? Was it was it product? Was it marketing? Was it your group? Like tell me how that conversation initially started. 
Yeah, I believe the genesis of the uh, concept was the product team. And then the way that we work here at Zendesk is that we quickly pair the product teams with the product marketing teams to then, you know, work on the research, validate the thinking, prepare the business case, et cetera, to take these new ideas from concept to market. So, you know, just to give the credit to our amazing product team at Zendesk. Majority of these ideas come from the product team, but the product marketing team is very much in touch with the customers all the time. So we become the voice of the customer and sometimes, you know, and show that influx of thoughts and ideas and share that with the product team, which ultimately take the shape of new products and features too. Excellent. So how are you structuring, you know, you said you're talking to the customers very often on, on your team. How are you testing the market? What type of questions are you asking to understand what they truly want, what they truly need? I think you, you talked a little bit about the structure first. So I do have to say that, you know, with every company that has gone through tremendous growth and success like Zendesk, you know, over the years, things change. And that exactly happened with Zendesk as well. So our processes, our marketing engine have started becoming more and more sophisticated. And that is getting reflected in the way we launch our products too. So we now have product marketing teams leading the launches, like I said before, owning the process every step of the way and, you know, developing the business case, doing the prospect and customer research, building out the personas, messaging, all the great stuff for the marketing mix too. But obviously, like I said before, I think we have a very unique culture where there's this concept of shared success. So we're not doing anything on our own, but at the same time, we have the onus of the go-to-market process and strategy on the product marketing team. And you know, when it comes to testing the market, we introduced this framework last year too. The first step we took was like, you know, understanding how can we organize, a, organize our launches better? And you know, we had multiple dimensions and criteria. So one of the dimensions is that, are we creating a new category of products? Are we disrupting a category in the market? Or is it just going to be like an enhancement to an existing product? And then the second is like, you know, what is going to be the impact on our customers and our sales teams, which are two, two of the biggest stakeholders for any product marketing organization. And based on sort of like those two criteria or dimensions coming together, we then define the requirements and, you know, the, the requirements for testing from there vary quite a bit. So, you know, I also believe that product marketing, the word itself implies that you need to have a good understanding of the product and the market. So as you have a lot of these ideas developing, you have to go to your base, you have to go to your new buyers that you're going to be selling these technologies to and really validating these ideas. Because one of the mistakes I think many product organizations make is that you re-engineer the product but you forget to re-engineer the conversation. And sometimes you work in a silo within an organization. I'm not saying that, you know, they're not experts. Of course, you know, there's smart people working on these things, but we are very deliberate about getting our customers engaged in, in the conversation early on and getting their feedback as we go along. And is it existing customers or also, you know, target prospects or target customers in the market that you're also trying to solicit feedback from? Yeah, it really depends on the product and, you know, the product market fit there. We first obviously try to understand who are we really trying to sell this product to. Some products are going to be targeted towards existing customers. And then in that case, what we do is not only just go to our existing base, but then we find lookalikes. That becomes the definition of sort of like, you know, the new customers, but the behaviors and the patterns of usage, et cetera, are 
the same. That's the assumption we make. Or if we have products that we're trying to sell to new buyers and new personas, then that's a whole different process. We want to make sure that, of course, we have some traction in some cases with our existing base with the new technologies, but it might be a completely different persona in, in the type of companies that we're selling to. And then that sort of like, you know, takes a whole unique shape in terms of like a separate research track. Got it. And then so for the AI sort of chat products, this was something that you were planning on selling directly into existing customers, correct? Yes, absolutely. We we have been, for the most part, focused on the support buyer over the last 10 years, but we have seen an increase in adoption from other buyers within the organization as well. But the AI product that we, we built last year was definitely targeted towards our existing buyers, the core support buyer. How did you evaluate possible pricing structures and how was that sort of brought into your your testing of the market? It's something that I believe the pricing strategy itself can be a big competitive differentiator for a company. And especially if if it's a non-proven category or new category defining products that you're introducing. So, you know, the, to me, it, it actually just comes down to one, validating the buyer and user behaviors and patterns to figure out how do they consume the product? How do we then need to package it in a way where it becomes really easy for them to embrace it? It makes economical sense for them to buy this product. And then, you know, the, the second big part of this is also being very open to disrupting your own existing pricing models, because I think we actually did that with AnswerBot that we released last year. It doesn't match our traditional pricing model at all, and we have a more usage-based pricing model. And we kind of like did that again, keeping that customer-first mindset front and center and doing a lot of testing in the research and analysis phase where clearly our customers were leaning towards this concept of like, well, this is a great technology, we'd like to embrace it, but we're not sure how much do we need and how do you like, you know, make sure that I'm not overcommitting. So we came up with a unique way that looks completely different from every other product that we sell today. But I think, you know, that that is exactly the reason why that it has gotten so much success in the short amount of time it's been out there. So we we kept it pretty flexible. Got it. And so was there iteration sort of leading up to the big unveiling where you were testing it with certain customers and really kind of sensing, was it sticky enough? Or since the launch, have you actually iterated upon that pricing structure? Yeah, I think, you know, sometimes, and I'll be honest, sometimes you do your best work, you do the best research, you do all the things that look good on paper because customers are telling you one thing, but then when you launch something, it doesn't quite work out. Thankfully, in this case, it actually did. <laughs> so we had we had great customer response. And while we haven't really made any big or drastic changes to the pricing model that we introduced, we made some small tweaks because we learned from our customers. And again, this goes back to our philosophy of just staying in touch with the customer and learning you know, along their journey instead of just throwing something out there because we did our part and like, you know, researcher is not a check mark. It's more of a philosophy that is ingrained into our product strategy and marketing strategy. So we learned that, you know, our customers had like high usage during certain periods and they wanted sort of like, you know, these bumps, if you will, to support that at, at a meaningful or an economical cost structure. So so we actually introduced some flexibility into the packages to match their usage pattern patterns, which of course, helps us create that stickiness with our customers over time. So in your role as the, the head of platform, head of product marketing, how are you organizing yourself and your team to sort of stay focused on the task leading up? You know, if you think back to the 100 days before the launch, what were you doing to, to drive that productivity and making sure that all of your milestones were being met? 
Yeah, I think that's a really broad question. <laughs> and it's a good question. And, you know, I think the the way that I've been organizing my team, and it goes back to first, you need to put the right team structure in place. And, you know, when you're even thinking about as a new leader or coming into a new organization of just thinking how you're going to organize the team and the people, I've always believed that if you organize them based on how customers purchase from you and like how customers think about, you know, solving their problems with their company, that'll be a great match. And then everything just becomes easier from there on. But to answer your other question beyond just the overall people structure, I have always believed that the product marketing team needs to align their goals with the product team and the sales team. So this is kind of like not very common in product marketing teams across the board. But I think, you know, having defined quantifiable goals are absolutely critical. So as soon as you introduce that level of accountability for myself too, right, to make sure that when we introduce a product, there are certain goals around adoption. There are certain goals around pipeline that we must absolutely sign up for. Everybody automatically gets motivated, in my opinion, to kind of like, you know, get this thing out of the door in the best possible way. And then, you know, brings a common sense of purpose across the three key stakeholders, which is product, marketing, and sales. And, you know, in my, in my experience, even at Zendesk, that is the one big change that I introduced early on. And we've seen great momentum. We've seen great sort of like results and also an increase in morale because my team before struggled with understanding, well, that's great. We are going to work on a bunch of things, but you know, when we release a product, how do I measure the impact that I personally had or the team had on the success of that launch? So, you know, just signing up for those big numbers can sound very scary and sometimes you'll face resistance and, you know, you just have to put a stake in the ground and make it very, very KPI driven. Got it. And so those goals that you came up with, those quantitative goals, were those goals that you came up with? Was it sort of like the CEO coming to you saying these need to be the goals or even the board? Or I mean, how did you come up with those numbers? Yeah, I think that actually goes back to the entire process of taking things from concept to market. So when you're introducing a new technology or a product, you need to build a business case for it, right? So why are we putting in this investment into this product and, you know, what it takes for this product to be deemed successful in the market? So during that process, the product teams, they pretty much they're responsible along with working with the sales teams to come up with those goals. And then product marketing gets involved as well because we are mapping out the market and we do a ton of analysis and research around well, what is the total addressable market for this product and, you know, what the competitive landscape looks like, et cetera, to, to make sure that we have aggressive, but sort of like well-grounded goals and KPIs in place. So, yeah, I think, you know, that, that again is sort of like a collective effort and then we all sign up for them. So, uh, like I said, this is kind of like a new thing for the product marketing team to do, but I'm super excited to see how my team is so motivated uh, to be able to sign up for them, despite maybe some initial resistance with a few folks on the team. <laughs> it always happens, right? <laughs> yes, it does. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> so when you think about things like PR and sort of the website, and I, I believe the launch of these products were tied to that you had an, an event last fall, Relate Live. How did you prepare for all of that? Yeah, I think again, like this whole machine sort of like comes together for a big launch like this. And they're like, 
a lot of smart people doing a lot of different things across the marketing organization to make sure that, you know, we can amplify the messages that we are creating from a product marketing perspective through the right channels and reaching our, our customers in the right way. So I'm very fortunate to work in, in an organization where, you know, product marketing is empowered to work and define the go-to-market strategy. And then we work with the rest of the marketing team to build those plans together. And, you know, the rest of the marketing team is an expert on the execution strategy. So we, we kind of like, you know, have this great partnership where we, we define sort of like, what are the big things we need to do? What are the big themes we're going to be chasing? Who are we going to go after? And then all the strategy around the execution, nailing the right channels and stuff is led pretty much by the rest of the marketing team and we're great partners along the way. So we have this kind of like almost two in the box model with product marketing, rest of the marketing working towards this common goal of success for the product launch. And so as you think about also, you know, making sure that the salespeople are informed and ready to be ultimately selling this to your existing customer base and beyond, the weeks leading up to the launch, how are they being trained and educated and informed around, you know, the value props and and pricing? Were there different training sessions? What did that look like just for our audience who's maybe preparing for a product launch? Yeah, no, I I think that's a great question. And I am a firm believer that if you put all your energy and your calories into making your marketing programs and, you know, your marketing strategy really successful and neglect the sales enablement strategy, you know, chances are that you're going to fail. And I say that because at the end of the day, the customer or the prospect is hearing from two big sources. One is the company through its marketing and the other is like, you know, the salespeople who get in touch with the customer. So one, you want to make sure that the messages are consistent. And then second, you know, they're equally compelling and happen at the same time, nobody wants to be surprised in the sales teams with a certain message that we're sending out from a marketing perspective. So last year, we, we did a lot of, lot of th- things differently last year. So this is, again, another thing that we revamped our sales enablement program a little bit. And we wanted to make sure that you know we were enabling our sales teams on how to sell and things beyond just the product and feature definitions and you know the how it works part. So we wanted to educate them on the people that they were going to talk to, what their environments actually look like. So give them a broader context and sense of why this is even meaningful for them, what else was happening in their space that was relevant for our sales teams to know about. So we we kind of like broadened the perspective beyond just, hey, this is a new feature. This is what it does. Go sell it. So we wanted to educate them on the market and the dynamics that the customer was in the middle of, given maybe all these changes around them and what they were hearing from different companies. So we did that. And I think, again, I have to give kudos to our product teams as well, because they helped us do another really cool thing, which was around, well, that's great. We're going to train all our sales teams. We are revamping the way that we are putting all these materials together, broadening the scope of you know what they need to know and learn. But at the same time, you know, how do we make it easier for them to actually sell and shorten the sales cycle? So we did some cool things and CRM solutions that we use around quoting and sort of like, you know, making it easier for them to just see how to position this product, what it would cost for the customer and things like that. So, you know, I think it's always good to do that before the launch. One thing that maybe we do in a unique way is also that we do a lot of follow-ups after the launch too, because we try to learn from our sales teams on what they are experiencing in the field. And we try to iterate our positioning, our selling methodology based on you know what our sales teams are telling in terms of their challenges and uh, the successes they're having with customers. 
So in the week leading up to the the launch, what was keeping you up at night? Was there anything that you were kind of going to sleep being like, oh man, I got to figure this out before we, we bring this to market? Or were you pretty cool? I think we were pretty cool because we were introducing a lot of things around that time frame that we knew that we were going to experiment with new things. And, you know, I talked about new sales enablement. We talked about the way we were thinking about positioning and uh, marketing differently. And, you know, I think those things definitely helped ease some of the anxiety and tension that comes naturally but of course you know there are there are a few things that just happen and you know you need to course correct the smaller things as they come about but I'm also incredibly lucky to work with an amazing team here and a very tenacious team who's focused on sort of like you know problem solving than just sort of like you know fretting over the problem all the time so that that definitely helps me <laughs> so I think you've given a ton of great advice over the course of the conversation today but you know as a, as a conclusion to these these questions and, and kind of looking back on that 100 days leading up to the launch, what advice do you have for heads of product or or heads of product marketing at companies who are really trying to spearhead new product launches? Like, What are your key nuggets of advice you would want the audience to walk away with today? The product launches or product marketing in general is sort of like an art and science, right? So you need to make the science part KPI driven, have quantifiable success defined for product launches up front. I think that really, really drives some structure, it drives people um, and motivates them. And then, you know, everyone knows what that end result or success really looks like. So to me, that that part is really important. And then the art part is, of course, based on your understanding and the research you do with your customers, nailing your messaging in a way that it truly resonates. And one of the things that always has sort of like help me personally is this orientation of like most of us are selling to B2B. But, you know, we need to have a B2C orientation when we're selling and thinking about product launches as well. Because at the end of the day, you're selling to people. They might be in organizations and brick and mortar settings, but, you know, they have their own personal motivations. They have their own challenges at work every single day. So having that understanding through the research, through developing personas, a variety of different things you can do, win-loss analysis, you name it. But getting to know that person helps you bring that B2C approach in a B2B setting, which I think is very unique and very critical to the success of any product launch. And yeah, I think those those things at the highest level are great. And I've always told my team that, you know, we need to have this growth mindset and there are like, you know, great books that have been written about it. A lot of people talk about it, but embracing that truly helps in product marketing organization be progressive because we might have had a great product launch, but we continuously try to learn from it. So we have sessions after product launches where we discuss what went well, what didn't went well. And then we have these QBRs where we talk about things we could do better. And I think that overall just drives, you know, improvement along the way and better results along the way for the company. And creates a very credible position for product marketing in the organization. So, you know, my biggest recommendation would be to, if you're an organization where product marketing is still not perceived to be very strategic and all you're doing is building out deliverables and content, step away from that if you can. And if not, find another place that'll help you do that. Because despite I understand your best effort, sometimes that's just the culture or the nature of the organization and you wouldn't be able to do that. But product marketing has can have such a powerful impact on, on the business. But only if you know you have 
the right support and the right strategy in place to execute on. Great advice. So it sounds like you've had a, an amazing career, right? You've worked for some outstanding enterprise software companies and, and been highly successful. I'm going to throw a curveball question at you. I, I'm assuming when you were, you know, a young kid, you didn't always kind of imagine yourself growing up and, and being in product marketing and software. Would love to understand what did you want to be when you were when you were a kid? No, you're, you're absolutely wrong. That's exactly what I wanted to be from the very beginning. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. I don't think the discipline product marketing quite existed at the time when I was a kid. But anyway, I think to me, it's it's always been a journey of like different experiences. And it's, it's interesting because now that I look back at, first of all, where I am today, and then like my experiences, it's a remarkable revelation of that how my formative years in childhood dictated where I will land eventually, meaning that I've always been very curious and sort of like understanding the why behind things. And that gives me sort of like, you know, that science framework, if you will. And then I've always been sort of like, you know, the kind of person who would take the time to make things look better or feel better or, you know, be presented in a better way and things like that. So I think those two things were just something that I've always been passionate about. And that resulted in this journey of a variety of different experiences, because product marketing is not the only discipline or not the only job that will give you that opportunity. If you look at my career, like, you know, I've done everything from, you know, a master's of science and finance to a product marketing degree. And that tells you sort of like, you know, these two things were very ingrained in me from the very beginning. Yeah. And you're clearly pretty quantitatively oriented as well, given your, your finance. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing led to another. And I think I've always been open to new things. I've been scared. I won't lie about it. I've been scared, but then I've had good support around me and really good mentors around me. You know, the CMO, et cetera, it's West Boston has still been like, you know, the biggest mentor for me. And like, I've had people who've pushed me into taking up new things. And I think, uh, I've become brave over time. <laughs> Excellent. So I would love to know from you, my next question, that again is a little bit of a curveball. Who should we have on our podcast next? So, right, so we're talking about the first 100, 100 days and we're trying to sort of figure out, you know, interesting people to talk to that did have some major change or huge milestone within their business and what it was like to be in their shoes and the lessons learned. I mean, you mentioned that you had this great mentor, but is there someone we should invite to be on one of our future podcasts who might be able to tell a great story about the that 100 day time frame? If you can get somebody and I don't have names yet and I'm happy to talk to you later to come up with uh, some ideas there. But, you know, there's there's this thing about the art of storytelling, which is really, really important for any product launch. And I've said this before and, you know, we, we're very fortunate here that not only we have great people in the product marketing team, but we have a very unique creative voice as well and our creative team has one I don't know, like a ton of awards already for having a unique voice in the market. So we have we have sort of like this good partnership with the team. But I think storytelling sometimes takes a backseat in terms of like, you know, trying to find that differentiated way of going to market. You look at our website, the way we talk about ourselves, the way we project ourselves is pretty unique and very interesting and very compelling. So yeah, I would, I would say that it'll be nice for somebody to come in and talk about the art of storytelling, maybe. Well, I think you read our mind, Asta, because we actually have, <laughs> 
have in one of our coming podcasts, we do have Andy Raskin, who's talking about just talking about storytelling. So he's worked with a lot of big brands like Salesforce and Uber and Square. And he's actually worked with a number of OpenViews portfolio companies as well. So that's good validation that we're on the right track. (laughs) Please invite me to the podcast too. Please do send me the... (laughs) It was an awesome conversation with Andy and I'll make sure to, to share that with you. And I think it's really, really important. And I'm glad you brought that up. And I think it's so important that even uh, maybe talking to someone else who specializes in storytelling or has done that sort of in-house as an operator kind of on that would be huge. So very good idea. With that, I'm going to wrap it up here, Asa. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Really interesting hearing about everything that went into the major launch of this new set of AI technologies for Zendesk last fall. Congratulations to you and your team on a great success there. Thank you so much for having me today. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, we would love a five-star rating. So outside of podcasts, we produce content daily on our lab's website. You can consume this content directly on the site, or you can follow us on Twitter at OpenViewVenture. And you can subscribe to our newsletter. It's sent out to over 100,000 SaaS operators every Saturday morning by going to openviewpartners.com forward slash newsletter. Thanks again, and until next time.